Well, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. Thank you. I was glad when they said unto me, finish it. Let us go into the house. Let's say that together. I was glad when they said unto me. Now, y'all sound sad. Say it again. Ready? I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord today? I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what situation you're in. We are grateful. We should have grateful hearts to have the privilege of gathering together in the house of God together. Yes? Amen? All right, now, we're a little out of practice, I know, but you know I like I like it jumping in here, okay? If I'm going to preach hard, I want you to listen hard. Is that fair? Okay. All right. Y'all ready to study the Word today? Okay. Y'all keep it up then. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm, I'm, listen, I'm burnt, chomping at the bits. I'm burning in my loins to be able to stand and bring you the Word today. So we're going to go fast and furious, and I need you to, to listen that way. Listen, I'm excited about the journey uh, through the Word that the Lord is going to take us on this year. And He's already just kind of mapped out some things uh, for our journey through the year. I'm really excited about what He's personally teaching me and what He's uh, encouraging me to share with you. Most of the time, I would say, most people I talk to, uh, they look forward to a new year. It's kind of a new opportunities. Uh, especially if the year before was rough, and let's just be honest, uh, we've had a couple of rough years, yes? It's been rough. But here's the deal. We know how quickly things can change in a year, don't you? In our home, we have a saying, and we say it often, one phone call can change your life. You know what that means. Things can be down and all of a sudden one thing happened and it can change your life. Things can turn around. One moment you can be in the lowest of lows and then something happens that shoots you up to the highest of highs or everything can be going smoothly in your world and then all of a sudden something happens and then your world gets really bumpy really fast. Now, let me ask you a question. Um, in 2024, in this new year, Will you have some good days? In God's good grace, you're going to have some good days. Are you going to have some bad days? That's the reality of life. In living in a sinful, broken world, you're going to have some bad days. You're going to experience the highs and lows of this year and everything in between. You're going to experience it all. And today, I want to preach a message that speaks to how do we run to win up or down, good or bad, smooth or bumpy? How do we run? Uh, how do we run to win in this life? How do we do that? How do we do that when we know we're going to face good times, we're going to face bad times? How do we stay consistent and run to win? The title of the message today is Four Truths to Win at Life. And speech, Scripture speaks to this. It speaks to living a victorious life. And I want to share with you a foundational passage, the 1 Corinthians 9 passage, and then I have several, uh, several passages with my points. I'm going to ask if you would stand in honor of reading of God's Word we're going to pray first. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to guide us in the truth of the word, and then we're going to dive in and get to it, okay? Would you pray with me? So, Father, we come to you, cultivate church. We're gathered here, and we, uh, Lord, we declare that we need you. And, Lord, we declare that we want you. 
And we know that we cannot face this year alone or as a church without you. We need a touch from you. Would you touch us today? Lord, would you, would you speak to us through your word? Holy Spirit, guide us. Illuminate it to us. Let the light bulbs go off. Ring our bells today. Ignite a passion, a flame in us for this new year to be about your business, to be, to be winning and running in life, not stumbling around in the dark. So teach us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, okay, 1 Corinthians 9, remain standing. Here we go. We're going to start in verse 19, going to go through 27. Paul says, even though I am a free man without no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. Now, that word slave, some of some translations say I'm a servant. I'm a servant to all uh, so that I may bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under the law. When they were doing it, so I was doing it too. I did this, even okay, even though I'm not subject to the law, he knew that, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. So no matter who I'm around, no matter who I'm trying to win to Christ, no matter who I'm trying to connect to, I'm gonna, I hold steady. I'll, I'm going to obey Christ. Verse 22. When I am with those who are weak, I share with their weaknesses. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with people I like. Is that what it says? Who does he try to find common ground with? With everyone doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. And then he says, so run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. I love this passage from Paul. See, Paul, to me in this passage, he's living life on mission. He's living it on mission. See, he knows who he is in Christ. He knows what his purpose is. And because he knows who he is he's, and, he, and who, his purpose, he's living life in freedom. Did you catch that, by the way? He's living in freedom. I want to read verses 19 through 23 to you from the message so that you can, I just love how the message says this. He says, even though I am free from the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people, religious, non-religious, meticulous, moralists, loose living, immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. 
I didn't take on their way of life. Notice that. I did not take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. Now, there are a lot of religious folks that would have a hard time adopting Paul's evangelism strategy. You following me? They'd have a hard time doing that. But see, Paul's saying, listen, guys, life is like a race here. We're all running it, and the way that you run matters. The way that you run matters. The, and the way that you look at life, your worldview matters. It matters. See, the way you view yourself, the way you view others, the way you view your purpose, the way you go about fulfilling your purpose, your approach to life matters. Your approach to 2024 matters. And then Paul says, so then live it in such a way that you're going to win. What does winning mean exactly? Everybody's got a different definition of winning. Here's what it doesn't mean. Winning does not mean everything is going your way. It does not mean that you've got a lot of wealth. It does not mean that you're in control and you're getting your way. I'm going to propose to you what Paul suggests. That winning means, and you heard it in this passage, your bearings are in Christ. You know who you are in Him. You know your purpose and you're living in freedom. I think that's a good recipe for a winning life, don't you? See, you're going to be faced with people you don't like and people you do like. You're going to be faced in good situa- with good situations and bad situations. Paul had been in house arrest. Now, although he wasn't in prison when he wrote to the Corinthians, this was one of the few times he wasn't. Did you know that five of Paul's letters were written while he was in prison? Five of them while he was in prison. And the fact that he was in prison had no bearing on him running the race in such a way to win. It had no bearing on him at all. His circumstance had no bearing on the way he lived his life. Let me put it this way. On God's playing field, in God's economy, on His playing field, your circumstances do not determine your winning or losing. It's how you run. It's how you run in spite of your circumstances, good or bad, that determine a winning life. See, your circumstances could be favorable and you still losing at life. Do you think about that? You could have all the wealth in the world and lose at life. You could have everything you'd ever want the way you've always wanted it. You could be have the dream scenario. You could have more friends than anybody. You could be surrounded and still be lonely. You could still be losing. But I know for sure that everybody wants to win because we're programmed by God to be victorious. See, we're programmed that way. We all want the win. The Bible says we're more than conquerors through Christ. Have you ever thought of what more than a conqueror looks like? Not just a conqueror. Man, you got it conquered and some. Have you ever thought about that? What that looks like? So I want to share with you four truths to start winning at life. Are you with me? Okay, here you go. Here's truth number one. We're going to go pretty fast. Stay with me. Number one, to win 
at life, your attitude matters. Your attitude matters. Philippians 2, 3. If you, uh, you can turn there, it's on the screen. Philippians 2, 3 through 5 says, listen to this. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Some translations say uh, selfish ambition or conceit. They don't do that. He says, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Now look at this, verse five. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now here's the truth. We view our world and our current circumstances in one of two ways. There's one of two ways that you see it, generally speaking. You're viewing your world, your worldview is through the eyes of the flesh, sinful nature, or through spiritual eyes. You're viewing it one way or the other right now. Right now, your view is either through the flesh nature or through spiritual eyes. Now, your vantage point from the perspective of the lens that you look are looking through right now determines your attitude. If you're looking at life through the flesh, sin, nature, your attitude will be all about me. Won't it? See, you'll think in some kind of terms, how does this person, this thing, this circumstance, whatever it is, how does it affect me? How does this benefit me? Uh, how can I look good in this situation? See, we'll think that. How, how do I spin this to make myself look good? What will pe people think of me if they know my flaws? See, we're looking that way. If we'll, we'll think if we're looking through the flesh nature, well, at least I'm not as bad as they are. I deserve dot, dot, dot. I have rights dot, dot, dot. Now, I want you to hear me. The flesh nature, me-centered, attitude will result in constant turmoil in your life. It will result in constant turmoil. See, it will rob you if you see life through that vantage point where it's all about you through the flesh nature, it will rob you of the peace and joy of Christ in your life. It will not, there's no room for it. No room. See, it will limit your capacity to genuinely love and care for other people. You'll walk into a room. See, here's what happens practically. You'll walk into a room and you automatically, you'll take the temperature of the room to see how people are responding to you. And see how people respond to you, that will determine how you treat them. How you might have to manipulate the situation so that you can feel good about you. Do you see how that works? See, this kind of attitude and the behavior that comes from it is ungodly, it is destructive, it's divisive, and you will lose every time. Don't take my word for it. Do not take my word for it. James 3, 13 says this. If you're wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, there's those words again. Don't cover it up with, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. Look at this. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. That's not his way. That's not his attitude. Such things are earthly, they're unspiritual, and they're demonic. That's strong. 
That's strong language. And he's, look at this, verse 16, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, when you have those kinds of attitudes, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. And guess what? Take this to the bank. It will show up in every arena of your life. Every relationship, everywhere you go, if that's your worldview, if you have a flesh nature worldview, if your attitude is that, it will follow you everywhere you go. Someone with an attitude of jealousy and selfishness and pride will leave a wake of disorder and dissension everywhere they go. Everywhere they go. But look at verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's also peace-loving. It's gentle at sometimes. What does it say? All the time. It's gentle all the time and willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always, always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. James 4, 1, a little bit over, it says, what is causing the quarrels and fightings among you? If you've got some turmoil among you in your relationships within the body, if you've got it, what's causing it? Don't they come from the evil desires that are at war within you? See, evil desires, they come from the flesh nature. Verse two says, you want what you don't have. See, see, there's something missing. With that kind of attitude, there's something missing. So you scheme and you kill to get it. Now, that word kill, we've talked about this before. It doesn't mean literally to kill. It means that you scheme and you'll cut down and you'll belittle and you'll try to discredit anybody and anything you can so that you can have what your desire is. In other words, you'll stop at nothing for you. It says you're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. In other words, you're looking for that thing, that longing in your life. You're looking for all that to win. You're looking to win in all the wrong places. And even when you ask, it says in verse three, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. See, it's self-motivated. If, if this attitude, the selfish flesh nature, it's all about me. It's all whatever gives you pleasure. But this attitude, you won't truly find fulfillment and instead you'll be forced. Here's what happens. Here's what happens. You'll be forced to put on an appearance for people to, to make them think you actually have what you're missing. I want you to look at Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4.21 says, Since you have heard about Jesus and have earned the truth that comes from Him. Look at what he says. Throw off your old sinful nature and your formal way of life, which is corrupt by lust and deception. That's what I was just talking about. Verse 23, instead, see, here's the alternative. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your, what's the word? Attitudes, there it is. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Listen to me, church. If you want to win at life, your attitudes and thoughts have to change. Now, I'm going to tell you this. Submitting to the Holy Spirit, submitting to the Holy Spirit is the only way we can change from the flesh nature's losing attitude to take on the winning attitude of Christ. That's the only way. That's the only way. Your attitude matters. Here's truth number two. Sacrifices are required. 
If you want to win at life, your attitude matters. Number two, sacrifices are required. You don't win without sacrifices. You don't win without sacrifices. Um, many of you know that my youngest son plays baseball. Um, one of the principles of baseball is that you have to sacrifice to win. Okay, and that's true of most sports. True of, it's true of all of life. It's principle. Um, the goal in baseball, generally speaking, uh, is for the offense to advance as many runners as possible to get the score, to score. Okay, that's, that's, that's the, the object of the game. I want to give you a scenario. Now, try to follow me here. If, uh, <laughs> yeah, try to follow me. <laughs> if there's one out, and how many outs are there in an inning? Three. Okay, good. Whew. Okay, good. <laughs> I think we're going to be safe here. If there's one out and you have runners on base, okay, that you need to advance, you're trying to get the score in, sometimes the batter that's up to bat will be given the sign to sacrifice bunt. It's actually, it, it, it is a, it's a plate, sacrifice bunt. Typically, the pitcher or the catcher, whoever's closest to it, when the ball is bunted, will, they'll grab the ball and they'll turn their attention to get the runner, the batter, out at first base. You following me? Okay, that's the easy out. Okay, there's only one out, so... They, they want to get the easy out. Now, while that's happening, while all the attention with the ball is turned toward first base, guess what the other runners have the opportunity to do? They have the other, other opportunity to advance. Now, if you have a runner on third, now they have the opportunity to run home and score. Everybody follow me. No matter how good the batter is that steps up to the plate, no matter how good they are, sometimes the call has to be for that batter to sacrifice himself for someone else to come home. Now that reminds me of a scripture. Romans 3.25 says this, For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Now, what does that mean? Here's the spiritual parallel. It means that while we're on the field, God the Father put his son up to bat for us, and he presented the signal for the sacrificial bunt. Even though Jesus was perfect and he could have knocked the ball out of the park. He sacrificed so that we could run home. Now, look again at that second part of the verse. It says people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. In other words, you recognize that you're right with God and you're winning in life because Jesus made the sacrifice so that you could run home. 
See, you're not made right with God by being religious enough. You're not made right with God by being good enough or by turning over a new leaf or trying to be better or trying to modify your behavior or stopping being bad, whatever it is. None of that advances you and gets you home. None of that gives you the win. It's the sacrifice that gives you the win. Our postmodern culture abhors a sacrifice. See, we want what we want, when we want, how we want it right now. See, we think we deserve something for nothing. We're conditioned to think that way. But the truth is that sacrifices are required to win at life. Hebrews 13, 15 says, therefore let us. See, so not only is it Jesus' sacrifice, but look at what he says for us. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. And don't forget to do what? To do good. See, we don't just go to church. We are the church. We are the light of the world because the light of the world lives in us. We're, whatever room we walk into, guess what? You're carrying the light of Jesus with you, whether you recognize it or not. And wherever we go, we share with those in need. We lead the way with irrational generosity. We lead the way with sacrificing our desires so that someone else can know God. That's what Paul was doing in that passage. See, we lead the way with giving up our rights to be heard so that we can listen to others. We lead the way with unconditional love to those who need to know the love of Jesus. But I'm telling you, you do not win at life without sacrifice. His nor yours. Here's truth number three. You will have challenges. We've talked about this before should be nothing new to all of us. You will have challenges. James 1, 2 says this. Dear brothers and sisters, when, when, when troubles come of any kind, when they come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Now, James is addressing the attitude that you should have when challenges come your way. That's what he's saying. If we have the attitude that comes from flesh nature, when troubles come our way, we tend to automatically become the victim to our circumstances. An attitude controlled by the Spirit, though, says this is an opportunity for my growth and for His glory. And instead of the victim, see, then you become the victor. I hate to break it to you. In this life, you're going to have challenges. I know that shocks you, right? No life is immune to them. Some people think the closer you get to the Lord, the less challenges you have. Is that true? Not at all. I'll tell you this. The closer you get to the Lord, 
the greater the war, spiritual warfare. It rains on the just and the unjust. We all experience the pain of sin living in a sin-filled world. And it can get difficult. Now, the difference is we have the means through the person of Jesus Christ and the leadership of the Holy Spirit to manage our challenges with the right attitude. So we have a different perspective. When the Holy Spirit comes to live in us, a different lens is made available to us if we'll just look through it. We're all going to have skin knees. It'll hurt. We'll all get bruises. We've all been hurt or wounded. It's the bumps and the bruises, though, of the challenges that we face in our life. It's the bumps and the bruises that highlight the redemption and the grace of God in our lives. Every time, every time I've sat talking with an unbeliever without fail, I'm going to tell you without fail, every time I've sat and talked with an unbeliever, the place where we find common ground is in the challenges that we've been through. The scars, the wounds, the hurts, because everybody has experienced them. And see, we talk about that, and then the, then the question somehow inevitably comes up. At some time, the question comes from them, how did you make it? You face the same things that I face. You went through the same challenges that I face. You're a believer. You went through all that, and how did, how did you make it? And that's when I can say, that's when you can say, I wouldn't have made it. I would not have made it if it were not for the grace of God and what he's done in my life and what he's done in my life, he can do in your life. See, it's out of our greatest pain. I want you to take this, I'll write this down. Don't ever forget this truth. It is out of your greatest pain and deepest challenges that you'll find your greatest triumphs, your greatest opportunities of ministry, and your greatest wins will come from your deepest challenges. There will be challenges. Here's number four. Things aren't always what they seem. Not always what they seem. Now. That truth can be applied in multiple directions. Now, there's two that I want to share with you that I think the, that the Lord wanted me to share with you today. So I have a twofold principle with this. The first is this. You won't win if you continue in sin. That rhymes. You won't win if you continue in sin. Proverbs 28, 13 says this, people who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. Now, let's just be honest. The world we live in 
paints this really good picture of sin, giving the impression that the sin party will last forever. You know what I'm saying? But here's the reality. Sin desensitizes, it blinds, and in the end, it demands full payment from you. Growing up, I remember preachers saying this, there is a payday someday. Do you ever hear that? Proverbs 29 says evil, and if you look that word up, it just simply means sinful. People are trapped by sin, but the righteous escape shouting for joy. Now, we don't like to view ourselves as evil, but we're sinful people without the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You recognize that, right? Sometimes it looks like the sin in this world gets a free pass. Have you ever just been mad about that? Have you ever just looked around and, and just you, you just get angry that it looks like people can just keep living on in sin and doing wrong? You know what makes me angry? It makes me angry when there are Christians that keep living in sin and it looks like they're getting a free pass. That makes me angry. Sometimes it looks like people can act how they want and treat people how they want to, and there are no consequences to that, so it seems. But things are not always what they seem. See, if you're living with a secret sin, and you know you're living continually with a sin that you're hiding from everyone, see, you might be fooling some, but you're not fooling all, and you're not fooling God at all. And it might seem like you're getting away with it. It might be something that you've lived with for a long time, and you think, well, this isn't hurting anyone. This is just my pet sin. This is my burden to bear. This is my thorn in the flesh, but I'm just, I'm living in it. I'm making it work. I'm just working on it. I'm telling you, things aren't always what they seem for you. That sin, that prideful, ungodly attitude has compromised your spiritual senses if you're living there. And it's hurting you and it's hurting everyone around you and it's holding you back and keeping you from winning in life. Now, there's the other side of this principle. Things that aren't always what they seem. And this is good. Romans 4, 16 says this. So the promise is received by faith. Oh, this is so good. It is given as a free gift and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have the faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believed. That is what scripture means when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Now look at this. Even when there was no reason for hope. So even when it seemed like the promise of God to Abraham would not come to fruition. That's my commentary. Abraham kept hoping and believing 
that he would become the father of many nations because God had said to him, that's how my descendants, that's how many descendants you will have. Well, verse 19, and Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. And don't you think it seemed like the promise wasn't going to happen? And you remember Abraham tried to help God out a little bit and got in a world of trouble that we're experiencing the results of that today, right? So he, he stumbled, Abraham stumbled. But look at verse 20. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises, and because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit, by the way. It was recorded for our benefit, too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Who is it written for as well? For you and for me. It was written so that we could rest assured that God will fulfill his promises no matter what it looks like. All you might have right now in starting 2024, all you might have in your hands is just a promise from God. That's all you might be living on. And you can't even imagine right now how God is going to fulfill his promise. You can't even see it. You could be like Abraham and says, I'm about dead. I'm about dead. It's not going to happen. It doesn't seem like it's going to happen. Time is ticking. And you watch everyone else around you shaking and moving and you watch God's promises being fulfilled in them and you've been faithful and you've been, you've man, you've just been doing it. You've been slugging it out for God and it seems that God has forgotten and it seems maybe that you've gotten the promise wrong. Maybe I was wrong, God. And it seems that while you're remaining faithful, you're being overlooked and God is promoting and blessing others. Let Abraham remind all of us things are not always what they seem. And God's promises for you, he will do it. He is a faithful God. Apparently, Abraham understood the four truths from this message today. He had the right attitude. Hmm. He was willing to make sacrifices. You remember that little story about Isaac and the mountain and the, the altar and the fire and the goat or ram, whatever? Mm -hmm. He was willing to make sacrifices. He went through tremendous challenges. And it seemed to both Abraham and Sarah, the promise got to a place where, well, if God's going to do this, he's going to have to roll up his sleeve and do a miracle. No. 
And all of it, not only did Abraham not waver in his belief. See, he didn't just stay status quo in his belief. It says his faith grew stronger. Do you notice that? And in that strength, in that strength, he brought great glory to God. That's the win. That's the win. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you want to win at life this year? Yes or no? Do you really? Do you want to win at life this year? Then your attitude matters. How you view this world matters. You're either through flesh nature eyes or through spiritual eyes. That choice is yours, by the way. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been given everything to see things from a spiritual perspective. All you have to do is just step up to the lens and start looking through it. You know how you do that? Open the word. That's the lens. And the Holy Spirit, guess what? The Holy Spirit's there putting that lens right over your vision. Hmm. All you have to do is ask. Just know you'll have challenges ups and downs. That's how you glorify God. Your greatest ministry in 2024, your greatest influence will be through the challenges that you have, your bumps and bruises. It won't be the mountaintops. It'll be the valleys that you go through. It'll be the skint knees. It'll be the wounds. It'll be the hurts. And you see that if you see it through spiritual eyes, you'll see this is an opportunity for my growth and for his glory. That's winning. That's winning. And just remember, things are not always what they seem. They're not always what they seem. Praise God. Praise God, they're not always what they seem. I'd have given up a long time ago if I thought it was going to turn out how I looked, how it looked like it's going to turn out to me. So if that's the case, and it is, then come clean before the Lord. If you're living in sin, you won't get away with it. Things aren't always what they seem. You're not going to get away with it forever. It will wreck your life. You will lose. And just know God will fulfill his promise to you. Did you know that God has given everybody a promise? Everybody in this room has a promise because he's, he's created you for purpose and for meaning. He's equipped you with a personality. He's made a way for you to walk in freedom with him. All of that is because he has a promise for you. He wants you to fulfill in this life. In, in 2024, we best be about it. Time's a ticking. Time's a ticking.